crossed the Rubicon on the 14th day of the most dangerous month of the year. At the worst time, at the worst place, that's all I seem to hear. I got up early so I could greet the goddess of the dawn. Painted my wagon, abandoned all hope And I crossed the Rubicon Well, the Rubicon is a red river Going gently as she flows Redder than your ruby lips And the blood that flows from the road Three miles north of purgatory One step from the great beyond I saw someone um, <laughs> cancelling the film Drive for being anti-Semitic last night. <laughs> this is one of those uh, Nasher people. Um, uh, and they said, um, for Holocaust Memorial Day 2020 at BBC, making sure the BBC sees this, Screened blood libel drenched drive based on a non anti Semitic short story. But here's the twist uh, scripted by Iranian born Hussein Amini. Dun, dun, dun. It's Jewish gangsters Ron Perlman and Albert Brooks aren't heroic as in original story. <laughs> This film does not glamorize organized crime enough, <laughs> and they kill they kill cuddly Brian Cranston using kosher slaughter. <laughs> I thought they just stabbed him. I, I, just, I didn't. I don't know. Don't worry. Don't worry. That's it. It's done. So this sounded weird to me. Uh, so I felt the need to go double check these facts and in order to slaughter an animal in a kosher manner, you certain there's quite a few little rules that have to be obeyed. And one of the, one of the most important is that you use a knife to slight the animal's throat, particularly the trachea and the esophagus. And if you fail to cut in a very precise area, then you are not doing a kosher slaughter, quite simply. Uh, in fact, the only thing I can see that's similar between kosher slaughter and the exact scene in Drive where Brian Cranston's character is killed is that it was uh, a swift, smooth cut with a sharp knife. And that's about it. I mean, that, de that describes pretty much all killings with knives, as far as I'm aware, like, for the most part. <laughs> like, uh, certainly quite a lot of them. Um, so drawing any direct line between... <laughs> That and kosher slaughter is uh, reaching a little. Because, of course, Brian Cranston is slashed. He has his wrist slashed. Nowhere near the throat. And uh, two more fundamental differences, of course. Um, it goes without saying that humans are never kosher to eat. So saying that it was a kosher slaughter is just really it's it's weird word choice uh human would never be killed in a kosher manner and then uh, additionally while while jewish law does forbid the stunning of animals before they're killed in general kosher law it also forbids unnecessary suffering uh, uh, on the part of the animal. You're supposed to, like I said, kill the animal quickly with the knife, get it over with, it dies, done. Uh, if, you, if you do cause unnecessary suffering, then it's no longer a kosher killing, and I would certainly say that 
slicing Brian Cranston's wrist and then just leaving him to bleed out slowly over the course of hours violates that commandment. Um, but anyway, this has been a fun little aside into Jewish law. Thank you. Um, yeah, but anyway, like I thought that like the gangsters aren't heroic is like the polar inverse of like when people complain about <laughs> Scorsese films like glorifying the gangster lifestyle. The Hayes Code or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's like these gangsters should actually have a heart of gold. Wild, yeah. I I I don't know. I I never I never saw it on that level, but no, I, maybe I'm a self-hating Jew. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> Nicholas Winding Refn is like the kind of director who. Sorry, I didn't mean to just casually say yeah when you said you're a self-hating Jew. You're not. <laughs> that's a, a bad anti-Semitic trope. Um, but like, uh, <laughs> although not obviously in the context when you said it as a self-deprecating joke about yourself, that is fine. But. Um, like smooth i think yeah. you, got, you got away with that one yeah yeah uh, yeah i fucking owned that um but like yeah no uh i nicholas finding refin yeah i could see him maybe being like ha, what if we do like kosher slaughter and what if he kills him <laughs> like the jews kill people so, i mean i don't know i but <laughs> i never heard nicholas finding refin say that he's say anything anti-semitic I don't know. I, I, no, I, I think that person is just like uh, completely unhinged, to be honest with you. I don't think that's a critique we should be taking particularly seriously. Yeah, I'm with you. So um, today we, we are going to be bringing our own critique that nobody should take particularly seriously. Of course. Yeah, so I guess, I guess we should get pretty, get rock and roll in and, you know... Do do the do the chat about some rock and roll? Oh well, I don't even know if you can call this album rock and roll. Like maybe like three songs on it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's we, music. Yeah, we're gonna talk about some twenty-first uh, century popular music. I suppose. I mean, this album. Let's see how it charted. Uh, Accolades, uh, well, it was like on a lot of best albums of the year lists, but in terms of its performance in the charts, it debuted at number two behind Lil Baby's My Turn in the United States. Um, but was the best-selling album in the United States the week it debuted? Uh, oh, okay, but due to the way that the streaming services have fucking rigged the game, like, Lil Baby's My Turn had more streaming and individual track sales or some shit like that, so that... <laughs> so Bob was robbed, basically. <laughs> he deserved to have a number one album, and um, <laughs> the, the, the powers that be um, decided that L Lil Baby was the person who, uh, conveyed the ideology of the ruling class. <laughs> I've, I've never listened to Lil <laughs> Baby, to be honest. Um, that album features an appearance from, uh, three rappers that I've heard of. Future, Lil Wayne, and Young Thug. So, Trust um, the plan, Jack. Trust the plan. <laughs> uh, they they're right down the street from a street where you live. The establishment. <laughs> oh, and it debuted on Billboard's on at number one on Billboard's top rock albums and the Americana slash folk charts. And Dylan X. Have we even said what album we're talking about? Because <laughs> I just said Dylan. Okay, fuck it. Who cares about the charts? We're talking about Bob Dylan's rough and rowdy ways. I think we've definitively proved now that this is a popular music album in the most literal sense and also, you know, the sense of, like, what popular music as a term actually means. So let's now get into this album that combines elements of the past and elements of the present and exists in a kind of world where they're all running simultaneously 
uh, train tracks laid alongside each other and the trains are all going down at once and one's an old steam train and one's a modern high-tech privatized rail th- i mean i think a lot of the old steam well trains said. were like owned by mining companies uh, and shit in the old west which is obviously yeah. the kind of train that i was imagining because bob dylan dresses like a cowboy and so on yes we're talking about the 2020 studio album rough and rowdy ways by bob dylan this is dylan's first album of original material since 2012 when he released the tempest album but he did release three studio albums between that one of them a triple album comprised of covers of great american songbook standards largely once sung by frank sinatra those albums actually all came out between 2015 and 17 i think so it was a relatively brief period i think he recorded the first one shadows of the night in 2014 and started playing a couple of the covers then and then you know in 2018 he dropped all the standards from his set and started playing songs consisting entirely of original material again but it was all older original material because he knows that people record all his shows and doesn't want people bootlegging his new songs so i can't remember (laughs) <laughs> the last time that Dylan played new songs live before he recorded them. Maybe like the Jesus era. I don't think he's ever done that on the Never Ending Tour, which has been going since 1988. I don't think it's fair to say that it's ended because everyone's tour is everyone's tours. Everyone's touring life. It's basically on hold at the moment. Um, right. Yeah. COVID. Yeah. Even, even um. Ian Brown, because he, uh, he was going to play some festival, but then he refused to uh, get vaccinated. <laughs> so uh, he got dropped from the lineup. And it's like, well, if you're going to tour in during COVID, like Van Morrison uh, has been touring throughout the lockdown. And he was just, he basically said, look, I've got to do socially distanced gigs uh, so I can do gigs. But um, this is not a sign of submission, I think he said. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Bob doesn't seem to be an anti-lockdown musician because he's not done any never-ending tour shows uh, since 2019. Uh, He's scheduled some. He's as old as dust now, so like COVID would probably be bad for him. Yeah, well, he's uh, 80, I think, at the end of next month. Oh, a month after that. That's actually a little younger than I thought he was, to be honest. Oh, really? How old did you? But, how, were you gonna like? I don't know. I was thinking late, late, late eighties. Uh, Clint Eastwood. I, I am not the. Uh, <laughs> I, I am not a fully uh, licensed Dylanologist. Uh, mm, yeah, in the well, I mean, good friend. You know, there's uh, nothing uh, wrong with uh, not being AJ Weberman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by the way i meant to look for the weberman critique of this album but i uh i i saw he'd done like one like how bob dylan sold his soul to the devil or some shit but i i didn't actually Great. <laughs> watch the thing in the end uh but yeah aj weberman is still going um he's still got very bad right-wing politics as he's had the last has had for the last few years um <laughs> wait what's this just like i'm just gonna check his latest video because it's only um 55 seconds long but it's <laughs> called bob dylan submit to islam <laughs> it's really easy bob all you have to do is save a shahada which is he says uh allah is the only god and muhammad was his final messenger oh you're a muslim now jack <laughs> yeah oh my god what have i done aj weatherman says <laughs> He's saying Dylan's been a Christian, he's been a Jew, he's been a communist. When was he a communist? (laughs) He's been a fascist, apparently. (laughs) So why not an Islamist, Weberman concludes. And then uh, you can see him reaching for his mouse to turn the video off. um uh okay so he hasn't reviewed like the entire rough and rowdy ways album maybe he has in his writing but he has done a 19 minute video on the song black rider uh where he calls himself the world's only living dylanologist 
which, which suggests that maybe there were some friends of Weberman at some point in the the Dylan Liberation Society or whatever they were called, the Dylan Liberation Movement, like, um, who he thought were for real. But I guess they they <laughs> they sadly passed at some point. Weberman's the last the last man standing. Uh, okay, one last Weberman thing. I'll just read his like description of this uh, this video, hmm. which uh, okay, he says Weberman says in the description, "Repent, sinner, or you will experience the pain of a lifelong member in the Hellfire Club." Ye who have financed Joel Gilbert's DVD claiming Obama's real father was CPUSA member Frank Marshall Davis <laughs> sent out to millions of people in the swing states that triggered an FEC investigation as an illegal campaign contribution. Ye who have also financed another of Joel's DVDs claiming Bill Clinton had an unacknowledged black son to suppress <laughs> the black vote in the swing states which might have worked and gotten the Clorox kid elected. Now ye who sees the error of vine ways and have the Clorox kid hanging on false prophet, get down on your knee and pray for forgiveness from the Reverend Al Sharpton. Ye who have slandered the state of Israel and have claimed only hundreds of thousands of Jews were killed in the Holocaust, you who turned John Lennon and other onto Dougie, Dougie? <laughs> Bury the rag deep in your face, for now's the time for your tears. The last bit, a quote from the Bob Dylan song, The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll. Um, so I guess this is Weberman maintaining, as he has for many years, that Dylan's a Holocaust denier. <laughs> but I'm not sure how that ties in with all the stuff about Clinton and Obama. <laughs> if I remember, he did claim that Bob's song Pay in Blood is about how Bob thinks Obama should be murdered. Of course. No. Yeah, so, uh, and moving on from A.J. Weberman, the album Rough and Rowdy Ways. Um, Indeed. <laughs> what have you made of it, revisiting it? Because uh, we listened to it about a year ago when it came out. A bit less than a year, but, uh, you know, I want to I wanna get some Dylan stuff yeah. coming out in advance of his birthday. Indeed. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he'll appreciate it. I, he's, he must be a listener, right? Yes, I'm sure Bob Dylan listens to podcasts. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, we listened to this record about a year ago. We talked about it for three and a half hours, <laughs> and um, my just as at the end of the three and a half hours, my white hot rage at certain people who had been spreading lies and smears about Mr. Dylan and not reviewing his album in a punctual fashion. And be, unlike us, who were doing it an entire year later, like like respectable <laughs> professional critics. Like, I, my white-hot rage was burning so hot by the end of that recording <laughs> that I just got going. I finally articulated my spiel about why these haters and losers... Uh, we're evil motherfuckers who should rot in hell in Bob's own words about his critics uh, and I realised that, that my computer had run out of disk space and uh, Audacity had crashed and not recorded at least 10 minutes of my straight solid ranting and uh, <laughs> so uh, I think that just disheartened me as to the whole affair and we never actually finished editing that uh, episode and maybe I'll go back to it but I don't know I felt maybe it would be good to look at the record listen to the record even <laughs> with a, a new set of ears a year on yeah uh, how are your new ears Jack uh, uh, did the operation go well <laughs> they're very <laughs> large and very red and I suspect that they may have been taken from the former Labour Home Secretary, Charles Clark. <laughs> uh, and so I'm just, if anyone's seen Charles Clark walking around without any ears recently, tell you know him. You know why? Yeah, tell him uh, that there may, they may have been stolen for, for, for black market operations. Um, 
But those ears, I have to say, rough and rowdy ways is sounding pretty, pretty good through them. Pretty, pretty good. Yes, that's a good summary. Yeah, the, I, I think I am actually enjoying it more listening to it again. Mm. than the yeah. first time around yeah I, I don't know i don't I know it's just uh a different time in my life and it's just i don't know i had a minute to listen better uh or or, or if it was just a greater appreciation for the the the, the various lyrics and music thereof Maybe it's yeah that you're 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 getting to be an old man now, you know, great responsibilities. <laughs> you've gained wisdom with age. You've gained a kind of gravitas that maybe you didn't have the last time you listened to this album. And you so might you say can... I contain multitudes. <laughs> yeah, so you can relate a lot more to uh, this this figure who is the narrator of this album. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really loved returning to it after a year or so. I mean, I listened to it a bit in the meantime, but mainly I had a big flurry of listening to it when it came out. But at that point, I was so excited for the album that all I'd been listening to was a few months was Dylan. So by the time the album had come out, I listened to it quite a lot of times and then i was sort of burned out on dylan for a bit and i had to like put that on hold and right. listen to nothing but neil young instead for a bit um vastly different artist obviously completely different in every regard uh i mean they are very different but also there's a lot of similarities and neil is somebody who comes from the lineage of dylan and you know i was just thinking where was this article that has been getting a lot of shit that came out like written by well i mean initially i was kind of like defending this article a bit it it was this thing about like so paul simon followed bob dylan and neil young and so on into selling his back catalog recently uh for a big sum of money and um there was this article printed that was like paul simon uh will remain a historical footnote to bob dylan <laughs> and um it was just like bizarrely like bizarrely cruel a headline um uh nbc news so like, i guess these guys do comment pieces as well on nbc but uh paul simon sold his catalog to sony for millions he'll still end up a historical footnote to Dylan. <laughs> and, and people were, like, joking about how, oh, great piece of criticism by Art Garfunkel. But, like, <laughs> I mean, you can kind of argue that, like, every person who plays in the post-60s singer-songwriter idiom is a historical footnote to Dylan. Like... Who are the other like people might cite their personal favorites? They might say, like, "Oh, I I love Neil Young." And it's like, "Well, I love Neil Young as well." But Neil Young's biggest influence is Bob Dylan. Like Neil Young's thing is that he combines like, well, what he set out to do when he first became a, a you know a recording artist in the sixties was to combine the sort of rockin' for Rolling Stones with the uh kind of folk-based songwriting approach and and wide-sweeping lyrical approach of Dylan. Like, um, you might be like, oh, I love Bruce Springsteen. Um, Like, I love Bruce Springsteen as well. But at the same time, like, Bruce Springsteen said that the snare drum at the start of Like a Rolling Stone was like the door being kicked open to his consciousness. He said that when inducting Bob Dylan into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1995, Bruce Springsteen's biggest influence is undoubtedly Bob Dylan. Um, Even take somebody who arguably kind of stakes her own claim uh, to greatness uh, outside of the shadow of Dylan. Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell was inspired by Dylan initially, but frustrated by what she saw as the musical conservatism and his limited musical ability of his work. And so she um, 
so so she basically took the lyrical approach of Dylan and, co and combined that with uh, a completely idiosyncratic musical approach that was more influenced by jazz than the folk tradition. And mm. um, then you might say, well, all right, those are just like, there's one woman there, but like those are all like old white guys. But like, I mean, say take someone like, I mean, Stevie Wonder, a great singer, a great songwriter. He is a singer and a songwriter, but he's not a uh, capital S, uh, you know, singer-songwriter in the same way uh, as, like, Bob Dylan and Neil Young, who are, a, you know, the, those guys are clearly a distinctive category, um, a distinct category, rather. And Bob Dylan is absolutely, like, the originator of that kind of thing um and like the most influential so with the caveat that paul simon is also quite influential uh he walks in the footsteps of dylan there's 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 no two ways about it and um, that is fair yeah i sent you this thing that somebody said to me that um was just like mm-hmm <laughs> I basically made this point in a, uh, a music discussion group on Facebook and uh, somebody said in reply um, that Neil Young managed to stay part of the current musical conversation longer than Bob did. And I'm just like, well, if Bob's not part of the current musical conversation, then it's not a conversation I want to be part of. <laughs> like, who the fuck is going around thinking, oh, Bob Dylan, that has been. Like, that guy, he's right. just, he's like old. Like, what a, what a Philistine approach, honestly. But this album, <laughs> it's bizarre. I mean, yeah, maybe we should have kept, put our review out at the time and uh, kept it in the conversation because I thought it was ridiculous how acclaimed this album was versus how quickly people stopped talking about it and it just made me think of the just like the poverty of the modern like information economy like the the the, the sort of like uh, of like I don't even want to call I don't I'm not sure what to call it but just like uh the almost like the social media news cycle like the fact that you have to uh take every single shitty mainstream media appearance offered to you in order to like <laughs> keep people constantly reporting on you and talking about your album blah 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 saturday night live appearance blah 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 smashed a guitar which they previously right. called up the company to apologize before <laughs> like, and it wasn't even a real amp that they smashed it into and every time that that, that something comes out about how staged and unrock and roll the guitar smashing was then that can be a new new story which reminds people that the album came out but because bob dylan is like well i'm 80 i'm not gonna fucking tour it's a pandemic like <laughs> there's there's no and he doesn't like do he's not gonna do like saturday night live or something <laughs> but like yeah right. uh, he did do it once in 1979 to uh spread the word of jesus christ but that's the, <laughs> that's the only time he's ever gone on saturday night live. i think eric uh, idol that was is the like host. over 40 years ago so yeah <laughs> yeah uh uh, he did he did letterman in 2015 but it was his last show and dylan likes letterman and i think they're friends so i think mm. that was what that was about um but yeah like you know because he wasn't even touring there weren't news stories coming up occasionally like bob dylan plays such and such for the first time in <laughs> 20 years bob dylan plays guitar on stage uh you know blah 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 that always gets a new story it's just people like stop talking about it and i'm just like damn people have pathetic attention spans <laughs> in, in the, the 21st century in terms of like thinking back to my reaction at the time i was fiercely defensive of this record um and when stereo gum said that it was the 22nd best album of the year I was like, this will not stand. And I was like, um, <laughs> yeah. I posted a whole comment like, 
Oh, right. Yeah, so Jason Isbell is a better songwriter and the post-60s singer-songwriter idiom than Bob Dylan. Yeah, okay. <laughs> not not that I don't like Jason Isbell. You know, we've talked yeah. about before about how the drive-by truckers are sick and everything. Uh, totally. But, like, like, seriously? Seriously, just, like, an album of perfectly good, like, sub-Springsteen but with a country edge kind of stuff. Like, which is basically what just jason isbell's solo stuff is it's good it's good for what it is but it's like you know it's not fucking reinventing the wheel or anything it's just like a nice bunch of songs like i'm sorry but like how is that how is that better anyway that was like what i said And, and obviously like the answer to that is like well one person didn't compile the list it was based on our writers all voted and then it was weighed up according to how many people voted for what and what put there which admittedly doesn't speak very well of their writers but like (laughs) uh, and how they collectively voted but yeah i was just like i was kind of annoyed by that um even though I was very embarrassed that I left that comment under my own name because I couldn't work out how to set up an account to comment. And so I was just like a super cranky comment like me by me. Like, but surely you said in your review of this Bob Dylan album that it's like a major work by Dylan. So is a major work by Bob Dylan, like the 22nd best album of the year behind like Rolling Coastal Blackout Fever. Okay, sure. Um. Anyway... The album itself, we should probably talk about the music too. It's pre- it's, pre- it's pretty it's sick. Pretty sick. Oh, but I guess the final hater and loser, the internet's busiest music nerd, <laughs> Anthony Fantano. Emphasis on nerd. I was so grateful when uh, I heard the Joker Men podcast and they laid into Fantano of this dreadful fucking review. But he just comes out with the most spectacularly ignorant fucking review of his of of the album like he basically complains that it doesn't do it for him like bob dylan 60 stuff does he it essentially amounts to this album by an 80 year old man lacks the youthful joie de vivre of what he was doing when he was less than 25 and he says this stuff like <laughs> Bob Dylan, like, <laughs> oh, I own, you know, at one point I owned every Bob Dylan album from the 1960s. He just like he says it just throws it from the 1960s. It's like, OK, so you owned like a small part of Bob Dylan's career like this. Uh, and he's out there like I'm a Bob Dylan fan. And then he's like he talks about murder most foul i mean firstly like he compares it negatively to the late period work of mark kozalek which is like oh yeah finger on the pulse there man but secondly like he says oh if phil oaks or bob dylan had written uh, because phil oaks and bob dylan are exactly the same as songwriters obviously because they both in the 1960s at one point (laughs) wrote songs like that dealt with uh political issues like if Phil Oaks or Bob Dylan had written this in the 1960s, it would have been a four-minute folk. It really pisses me off how he says folk phonetically. Folk. folk? Like like the Volk, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it would be of uh, 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 something like... Uh, he goes, like, a furious four-minute folk slapper. It's like, oh, yeah, a four-minute song by Bob Dylan about how... The murder of JFK was a terrible crime. That would be so much like, just how is how would that be preferable to a song that like, what could you say in four minutes about the JFK assassination that would slap? Like, that's the most like such a like small-minded thing. Like, and 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 what basically the Joker men said thing is that like he's not just not interested in the way that he approached that album anthony fantano in the in musical history like he describes all three of the blues songs on the album as vile and seems to think they're exactly the same when one is uh in the mode of you know like more like 50s rock and roll billy the kid emerson which we'll get to the other is straight up 
uh, in the style of Jimmy Reed, as the title might suggest, and the others like a completely different style of blues to that. They're all completely different, and they're all a perfect replica of a particular style that Anthony Fantano has never heard. And, I do just want to. I'll, I'll let you continue. Of course, I, I don't want to interrupt too, hugely, but just on that note, uh, I do. One thing I actually really like about the album is how. Uh, while each song is definitely unique and different, a large, like the, the whole album, not just those four songs, really fuses together in a way where it feels like a continuous musical story that's being told, uh, where it's, it, it, it can kind of, you, you can let it blend at the edges a little, you know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and like, the other thing is that Fantano fails to appreciate... I mean, this is what the guys on the Joker Men podcast concluded, that he's not interested in history, full stop, not just musical history, mm. in how this album, like, uh, it's by somebody who lived through the bulk of the 20th century and not just that was one of the major figures of the 20th century was the defining artist of as i said a particular idiom was someone who has influenced people from all walks of life who was influential politically who played the march of washington with martin luther king um somebody who brings all this (coughs) using a very liberal liberal phrase but lived experience to the table (laughs) and combines it with this kind of vast knowledge of essentially of both high art and pop culture which he sees as one and the same whatever era it's from admittedly you know like probably most people who are a bit older his knowledge leans towards stuff from when he was younger but at the same time, there's still like Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, Fleetwood Mac and stuff that from a later 20th century in there. This doesn't feel this album as sepia toned and purely set in the past as some of Dylan's work in recent years. It doesn't feel like a period piece at all. It exists. I mean, he said he wrote the album in a kind of like trance like state. And. Yeah, he brings like makes sense. That makes sense. so much of history and um yeah, just like this rich tapestry of reference into it. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, totally. It's uh it's it's almost like well, quite full of a, a, a stream of consciousness, you know. There's a, there's a lot there's just a lot going on. Yeah. And so yeah. much to listen to. It has kind of like dream logic to it. And I think this is the same with a lot of his best stuff, is that I don't really want to try and understand each lyric too much because it's so kind of subjective and every other person is going to have some different interpretation of how what is a kind of association within one individual's mind is. should resonate with you like how does he get from Anne Frank to Indiana Jones to the Rolling Stones (laughs) like exactly because those are obviously associations that he made but we can't expect ourselves to understand how Bob Dylan's mind would go from A to B to C so so we have to as he said in his one interview to promote the album um, you have to stand back from the picture to get the full benefit of it. If you look too close, it falls apart. But um, And in the same mm. interview, he chastised the interviewer for simply mentioning Anne Frank and, the Ro- and Indiana Jones. He said, well, there's a third one. It's the Rolling Stones. <laughs> so it's the three together. And what are we supposed to make of that? <laughs> I don't know, but that's clearly how it was meant to be written that's clearly like the the artistic effect of combining those things and weighing them you know the weight of those those elements together is supposed yeah. to impact us in some way yeah and, and, and it's well it's it's a powerful lyric in that 
it's definitely one that sticks with you, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And then you kind of think, like, well, maybe he's not saying all these people are exactly the same as each other, but in the I Contain (laughs) Multitudes song, he's perhaps saying I Contain Elements of these three the, the these three yeah. well not just three people because the rolling stones are four or five people but you know yeah. the, these seven people <laughs> you know um yeah and, that, and that, that's a sensible interpretation i think yeah and, and and it's such it's such like a fascinating song i contain multitudes it's a beautiful way to start as well regarding what you were saying about the album flowing as like one continuous piece if you put it on loop this album flows beautifully from murder most foul that like the start of the album on i contain multitudes like oh yeah you know it um, totally does <laughs> you can just listen to the album like in circles because i mean i think i contain multitudes and murder most foul are in the same key and um they both have this like light airy quality uh there's no there are drums on murder most foul but there's none on i contain multitudes it's just these really beautiful like jazzy chords and there's like there's so many guitars on the album like i i I always feel like this is another thing anthony fantano said that was fucking bullshit he said that the album was like so musically uninteresting and like sleepy or whatever i don't know what he used but like this is a beautifully dense and detailed and rich album musically like um not just like it's probably dylan's most sophisticated album ever in terms of chords and it's got much more vocal nuance than his last uh, album of new songs tempest there's just such beautiful production uh, and what such beautiful arrangement to every song where no instrument is taking the lead no one is showboating they all sort of meant to blend into each other because you've got dylan's band has two guitarists in he himself hmm. is credited as playing guitar on this album. He has a pedal steel guitarist, Donnie Heron, who also plays a bit of guitar. And then you have Blake Mills, who plays all over the album and is a guitarist. So you've got possibly as many as five guitars going at once <laughs> on some of these tracks. And it doesn't sound like some heavy, messy thing going, you know, just fucking you up. Like, they're all no, playing around each other and complimenting each other and to be honest i don't think bob is playing necessarily a great deal on this album i think that the solo on i give i made up my mind to give myself to you is is him because uh, it's very simple but um yeah for the most part i think he's getting out of the way musically and obviously instructing his band and and, and get and he'll have the overall control but yeah, it's it's such good ensemble playing on this record, you know? And oh, totally, yeah. You've got Ben Montench from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers playing keyboards, but you can barely hear him on a lot of the tracks, to be honest. But when you do listen, he's um, he's in there, like, so seamlessly with the guitars. Um, like, I mean, the, the accordion, which I imagine is played by, by Ben Mont on... Um, uh, on key west is obviously like probably the most prominent instrument on that track but at the same time you've got like i think he's playing organ on goodbye jimmy reed i think piano on false prophet um on mother of muses there's some kind of like a harmonium or something maybe that he's playing that i can't quite place because it's so quiet it's so subtle in the mix but i imagine if you took it out then there would be a gape void you know <laughs> so for me it's just a musically beautiful album like matt chamberlain's drumming is great dylan's band play great yeah. bob sings great <laughs> the songs are great the songs are great jack the songs are very great yeah i mean do you want to you might have more to say about uh, the songs than about like the describing the sound in detail you know yeah <laughs> let, me, let me let me have a gulp of tea. Yo, yeah, shit. Where's my fucking tea? Well, oh, here. 
I forgot about my tea. I was so deep into talking about Bob hitting out the haters. And so uh, he hits out the haters a bit on this album, doesn't he? Not the thing is that there, 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 there is. I'm looking at the at the yeah the song list, and there, there really just there, there is no song that I dislike. They're all like not catchy. Catchy is definitely not what they are, but they they they're all e- easy to listen to. But they have while having depth at the same time. Too. Yeah, there's, there's, there's you can just have it in the background, and it's great background music that you, you won't, you, you you know you you'll be able to like do some work to or whatever drive whatever. But if you also just want to sit there and listen to something, and uh, like you said, trying to find a literal meaning is is kind of pointless, but. You can get a sort of vibe from every yeah. song, uh, and there's something there to deconstruct and analyze and think about if you want it or need it. But it's not the only thing there. Yeah, that's very true. Like I've found that I can fall asleep pretty easily to this album. Like not just like if I'm listening to it and like mm. I find myself not able to stay awake, but if I'm like in bed, <laughs> the lights out and my eyes closed, I can put this album on and just zone to it. Although um, well, it's not very like upbeat, like fast no. tempo. Although heavy, I feel like, like you know he almost placed "Goodbye Jimmy Reed" on the album, so you don't get too comfortable and start <laughs> nodding off because it comes right between like the two quietest songs on the album. Black Rider right, and, and right. Uh, Mother of Muses, and it's just like boom, 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 just like great drums from Matt Chamberlain. Uh, I was saying earlier that the song is basically. I didn't realize this at the time because you know I'm a 21st century fool. I know about Bob Dylan, but I don't know too much about all his uh, formative influences. So thanks, Bob, for teaching me because the song is clearly inspired by Jimmy Reed's song Down in Virginia. They've got really similar riffs, really similar grooves, and like, uh, he even says, Goodbye, Jimmy Reed, and everything within ya. Can't you see, hear me calling from down in Virginia. So it's like, he literally tells people where to find the song that he's uh, paid homage to. Homage, 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 uh, fromage to um yeah yeah uh but yeah yeah you're you're so right like apart from that bit of goodbye jimmy reed kind of breaking it up to like rock a bit uh because false prophet is only track two so you won't have fallen asleep by then you know (laughs) (laughs) so that that one is a bit more upbeat as well that's the one where he's doing a kind of like battle rap thing of like i'm the best of the best i'm like the first among equals yeah uh, i'm second to none you can bury the rest (laughs) such classic braggadocious lyrics um like yeah so much so many awesome lyrics i think like like, on our last review we probably wasted so much time by just like going through the lyrics like bit by bit i think all (laughs) the lyrics to this album are really awesome but i'll try and just like quote my favorite ones from memory because i guess those would be like the most memorable ones but yeah you're absolutely right that the album does have this like consistent tone which is just like the midnight hour kind of thing it's like it's late at night and for real a bit tired and um yeah i don't know like the moon's out and strange monsters coming out to play especially on (laughs) track three uh i've made up uh sorry my own version of you uh this is such a cool song this is the one uh where he has the lyrics about uh the uh best known enemies of mankind in in hell uh sorry the burning hell like i love the burning hell as a phrase like it's like uh on john wesley harding his album there's like this lyric on uh uh as i went out one morning where he's like i i spoke with my voice or something (laughs) it's like the burning hell uh and like (laughs) you know, who is in the burning hell, who are the people he identifies as the best-known enemies of mankind? Can you think, who's an enemy of mankind? Is it 
the wor- kind of worst people who've done the worst harm. <laughs> is it the the capitalists? It is not. In fact, it is those pesky Jewish Jews? intellectual. Yeah, it's well, uh... not 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 all Jews necessarily, but two of them: <laughs> Mar- <laughs> Marx and Freud. Uh, Mr. Freud with his dreams, <laughs> Mr. Marx with his axe. See the rawhide lash rip the flesh from their backs. Those Jews. <laughs> well, I mean, Bob's relationship with Judaism on this album is pretty interesting because he says on Goodbye, Jimmy Reed, that uh, he he lives on a street named after a saint uh, and that it's where the Jews and the Catholics and the Muslims all pray. So he lives on... <laughs> He lives on a sort of... Again, I think this street is maybe not necessarily a literal street. It's like... I mean, maybe Bob does... Maybe someone's going to, like, find his house and murder him out because he's given a clue as to where he, he lives. He stalks himself. It's going to be fucking John Lennon. Or, no, sorry, actually. Yeah, no, John... No, of course, John Lennon was killed right outside his own house. Uh, we don't, Let's not think about Bob getting killed. That's grim. Um, but... <laughs> I guess he's got all the different faiths there, apart from the Protestants, who he doesn't like. He says, "I can, I can see, I can tell a proddy from a mile away." <laughs> uh, fuck uh, Protestants, am I right? Uh, are evangelicals not a kind of Protestant? Yeah, they are. That's weird because I thought that maybe he doesn't think so. I don't know. He did do but that audience are. with the Pope in like 1996. Maybe he he converted to Catholicism and never told anyone. Maybe he is a closet catholic or you know gee maybe every song is not literally like i am bob dylan and this is entirely from my point of view and containing objective facts about my life (laughs) no it's all literally true (laughs) he's a protestant hunter (laughs) he traipses the streets at night in his hoodie you can't make songs that are not true jack (laughs) it's illegal (laughs) Everything in them is an endorsement as well. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, you, why would you represent something if you didn't mean to endorse it? <laughs> the murder of McKinley, Bob was in favour. <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, but yeah, so you have that bit about the Jews and the Catholics and the Muslims all being welcome on Bob Street. But then uh, on Key West, you have the greatest non M M Night Shyamalan twist of all time. <laughs> which is so it's like about seven minutes into Key West and you've just been soaking up these sun drenched Florida vibes. And like Anthony Fantana was like, it literally sounds like an old people's seaside beach resort music. It's like no it fucking doesn't. <laughs> Everyone compared it to Jimmy Buffett. J- I love Jimmy Buffett's Cooler, right? I like Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> no, just kidding. Jimmy Buffett is terrible, but I do kind of like him. Uh, but like, but Jimmy Buffett sounds fuck all like this. He just has an accordion and lives in Florida. Like, that's complete, completely different. Anyway, but uh, Bob is friends with Jimmy Buffett, by the way. Um, but <laughs> and he likes, he rates, he actually described Jimmy Buffett as one of his favorite songwriters. But this is beside. So yeah, actually, it could well be a Jimmy Buffett influenced track. Um, but like, you know, I figure when Bob Dylan says he rates somebody as an artist, I like drop my previous prejudices against them and they're like, okay, they must have something going for them. Jimmy Buffett, the Eagles, all great. Um, anyway, uh, what Fantano said about it sounded like chill out music at a fucking Florida beach resort for OAPs. Like, (laughs) no, it sounds like someone dying <laughs> and that may not sound good to you like this song literally sounds like someone dying but like that complete lack of energy that it has is beautiful and it starts with somebody dying <laughs> it starts with the death of, of of president mckinley i think i said on our review president john c mckinley <laughs> uh, <laughs> but basically there's this old folk song called white house blues which opens with the lyric uh mckinley hollered mckinley squalled doctor said mckinley mckinley i can't find the ball as in the the uh, uh musket ball exactly from from when he got shot by, I think, an anarchist. 
I think we looked into the McKinley murder on our uh, on our unreleased bootleg series review last year and uh, concluded <laughs> that it was no great loss because he was like a warmonger and extremely like proto neoliberal like pro markets. I mean, Amer- American presidents. I yeah. don't. I don't. You know. Yeah. Well, said. William McKinley. He he got killed, and this folk song was written about him. And yeah, like Doc, I can't McKinley. I can't find the ball. Like I mean, it's not like that poetic. It's almost <laughs> well, it's quite funny. Uh, and Bob changes it to Doctor said McKinley, death is on the wall, which is like <laughs> so so good, so beautiful. Uh, say it to me. I still I think he's still speaking from a doctor's point of view if you got something to confess. So the song almost like sounds like, I guess the same way that on the next song, Murder Most Foul, um, JFK is in the back of the car, slipping in and out of consciousness as he dies, like hearing songs that wouldn't come out until years after his death. Like, you know... Play it for Lindsay and Stevie Nicks. <laughs> play, <laughs> play another one, and another one bats for dust. Like, that's like, I think it's kind of like that. Like, McKinley then, for the rest of the song is like McKinley's confession. But because this, like, this album doesn't take place in linear time, it's like, uh got all this stuff that there is absolutely no way that would ever come out of William McKinley's mouth including uh, a lyric about um, Harry Truman who wouldn't become president until almost uh, half a century after (laughs) McKinley was shot so uh, like but that's what I think it is I think this song is like it's supposed to be like a deathbed confession which just happens to be mostly about how nice Florida is (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. And um, but then yeah, about seven minutes in, you just vibe into this like dying breath. You're just like, oh my god, this is so beautiful. And then just like the verse, he just this is one of those songs where it's got two parts. It's got a verse and a chorus. No, you know they just repeat for nine minutes, and um, then and Bob just it's one where he just keeps piling up verse after verse. And there's generally a little, like, pause after each verse where the instruments kind of slow down. So it's just like, he stops after one, and he's like, uh, uh, Mystery Street, Alpha uh, Mallory Square, Truman had his White, White House there. You know, just telling you about you know, the sights and sounds, the scenes of Florida, about <laughs> all, the play, all the locales that you want to go next time you're on your holiday there. Um, I am kidding with that. I do think the song is a bit deeper than a tourist brochure for Florida. <laughs> it, it, it uses, you know, there's nothing wrong with using a location to convey yeah. uh, a mood. But then he just kind of, there's just a little pause and then, 12 years old, they put me in a suit. Force me to marry a prostitute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there were golden fringes on my wedding dress. So I didn't feel like I could tweet about this because I'd done some controversial tweets that night and I didn't want to do anything extra that would get me cancelled. But there are some very highly rated annotations on Genius. Uh, about what the prostitute symbolizes in in Key West. Uh, For example, the golden fringes on her wedding dress. Does that remind you of anything, Yaya? Jews. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that is basically what they they conclude on Genius, but the prostitute is Judaism. Um, they, they, They don't... It doesn't seem to be... 12 years old, they put me in a suit. The formal event Dylan is referencing, they say on Genius, is likely his bar mitzvah, which actually took place two days before his 13th birthday. Forced me to marry a prostitute. Dylan's own personal relationship with Judaism has been on and off, uh, they say. Um, 
in this scene, he is putting himself in the shoes of the prophet Hosea. I love Dylanologists, man. Like they just they spend so much time like Wild. reading the Bi- reading the Bible, just like okay, so what has Bob Dylan drawn from this? That's all they're interested in. For. Um, uh, who is forced by God to marry a prostitute? Uh, Analysis of the book of Hosea explains that at the command of Yahweh, Hosea takes a wife, an adulterous w- takes to wife, an adulterous woman as a symbol of the people of Israel who have deserted their God and must be punished for their desertion. But I thought Bob liked Israel. I'm confused now. Um, this allusion implies Dylan's own lack of commitment to Judaism even before his bar mitzvah. I gotta say, he never did seem that committed to Judaism, like prior to converting to be a Christ, being a Christian, you know? <laughs> right, he, yeah. He never seemed, like, re- particularly religiously observant or, or anything. Like, it's known that he did raise his kids Jewish, uh, at least in his first marriage, which predated his conversion to Christianity. But, um... Yeah, yeah I, don't, I, I don't know if he was ever, like, big on, like, the actual religion, you know? Um... He may have felt his symbolic marriage to Judaism was a putative product of wavering faith as opposed to one of genuine passion. But the line, she's still cute and we're still friends, undercuts this interpretation. Yeah, so the, the gold fringes he describes are a very common feature Torah coverings, uh, implying his bride <laughs> is the Torah itself. Reading from the Torah at a bar mitzvah demonstrates the new... Uh, you know what a fucking bar mitzvah is. Uh, <laughs> he's likely using his image as a stand-in for Judaism as a whole. Um, he says, that's my story, but not where it ends. Uh, militantly defying... Sorry, uh, minimally defying the trope of the Jew who never steps in foot in temple after the bar or bat mitzvah. Dylan periodically participated in Jewish ceremonies throughout his life and even bar mitzvahed his sons. And then they have a picture of... Dylan uh, dressed in Jewish religious clothing under that. Uh, and yeah, the final bit of that is is uh, she's still cute and we're still friends, which I guess if we're going with this, uh, this interpretation means that Dylan nonetheless, whilst not being religiously Jewish himself, respects Judaism and still has an interest and some level of involvement with the religion but yeah like i said i don't know if this is actually what he intended (laughs) but what do you think of that interpretation yeah that could be it it it, it also just could be a a lot of bullshit you know yeah there's this interview he did for this album where he's like um there's no metaphor on this album. I, I think that that's obviously like when Dylan says bullshit, like just completely untrue stuff that is easily disprovable. Like there's the story of like he told Amy Mann, like, um, oh, I hate story songs. And she's like, what, like tangled up in blue? And he's like, yeah, well, that's why we never play that one. And she's like, <laughs> you played it last night. like that could be him like saying there's no metaphor on this album is a bit like okay sure but it could be that when he says 12 years old they put me in a suit forced me to marry a prostitute he is singing from the point of view of somebody who had an arranged marriage to a prostitute at age 12 yeah occam's razor there i mean (laughs) True. I don't know. But anyway, it's a great True. twist and it just com- comes completely out of nowhere in the song. You're like, what? It <laughs> is, again, it's one of those lines that does just stick with you. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, it's obviously there for a reason. Whether it is uh, about his complex relationship to two different faiths or about or it's a a flight of fancy you know it's a a little vignette within this this kind of non-linear narrative exactly uh and one that uh kind of jumps out at you yeah he's also throughout uh key west shouting out lots of flowers sort of get a little taste of dylan the horticulturalist he's talking about well an unspecified toxic plant he's talking about uh bougainvilliers He's talking about fishtail palms and about orchid trees and um, 
uh, there's another yeah. one somewhere. <laughs> Hibiscus flowers. <laughs> so he, I don't know. It was well, a very evocative song. I think you know. I imagine totally. it's and it, and it is one of my favorite on the album. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it's just ridiculously laid back. <laughs> it's so chill. Like when I was uh, recounting the twelve years old, they put me in a suit, forced me to marry a prostitute. Bit like it is again. Like the musical interplay is so beautiful. I always think of like particular musical fills when i hear that line in my head the i'm 12 years old they put me in a suit bit and then uh, <laughs> after uh, and then after he says put me in a suit just like one of the guitarists just plays this like really really tasty high chord just like just like a kind of like i didn't face it they like do a lot of tremolo on it or something but it sounds beautiful and it's just like an example it's just one chord it's just an example of how like spare uh and economical the playing on this record is there's no bullshit there's no filler around the edges like when people take a solo it's for like a couple of bars and it's not really a solo it's more about the the band as a whole playing McKinley Holler, McKinley Small, Dr. Sim McKinley, death is on the wall. Say it to me. If you got something to confess I heard all about him He was going down slow I heard it all The wireless radio From down in the blue dogs Way down in Keyless I'm searching for love for inspiration On that pirate radio station Coming out of Luxembourg And Budapest Radio signal Clear as can be I'm so deep in love That I can hardly see Down in the flatlands Way down in Key West Key West is the place to be If you're looking for immortality Stay on the road Follow the highway sign Key West is fine and fair If you lost your mind You'll find it there Key West is On the horizon line 